This reading is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 2, starting to read at verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if one person sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honour me 
I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house, so that no one in it will reach old age, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week I was in a small supermarket and something happened that has happened a number of times uh, over the years. Uh, a chap came up to me and asked me if I worked there. I've been asked a lot in supermarkets and shops uh, over the years. I've got a good number of stories, particularly about uh, one chap who in a big supermarket, I think was convinced I was one of his colleagues. Um, and he would, he'd asked me if my shift had just finished um, and that sort of thing. It is one of the few things that has happened very consistently um, over time, looking the way I do. And I guess perhaps just in the, in the with recent events and watching them uh, around the world over the past few weeks, I just had a very heightened sense of that this week. Um, race relations, uh, as you know, are everywhere. Uh, now, some are talking big injustices, painful injustices, but also small acts of everyday racism. And I found myself asking just how do I process uh, that uh, this week? How do I make sense of the world that we have at the moment? Um, and how do I think about God in it? And I've come to this passage and I've generally found it really helpful. And I, I hope it will be for you too. Um, and as we look at it, let me just uh, remind us of the, of, of the background of the story and why um, I think it's relevant. We've, uh, we're in the time of the judges um, and I've said before that God's people are stuck. Uh, the, there is real corruption in the leadership. Uh, there's real chaos in society. And then we meet uh, a woman called Hannah. Um, and Hannah was a woman with no power or status, uh, nothing important about her. But God was going to use lowly Hannah to bring about massive change for his people. Now, that change doesn't always begin where you first imagine it will. And in, in our uh, chapter here, at this point, the beginning of the story, verse uh, 11, the camera, where is that focused? It says, the boy ministered before the Lord. So in a quiet corner in a place called Shiloh, um, you've got to imagine there's this little boy. Uh, he's called Samuel. So imagine in your mind a, a boy of about 
six, seven or eight, perhaps you um, know a child that age, and you, no one would have presumably noticed much about him, but he's there. And those words, the boy Samuel was there, are going to be like a, a drumbeat uh, in the background uh, through this chapter. And they'll be important and we'll come back to them as we go through and note where they are and we'll see why. But having shown us that briefly, the camera moves on, if you like, and we get two much bigger figures, um, Eli's sons. And that is uh, the, the first heading, Problem Priests. Problem Priests. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago, when you hear the names um, Hophni and Phineas, we're meant to think, oh, they're the worst. And uh, the reason for that is here. They are scoundrels. Not many people in the Bible are called scoundrels, but these two are. Um, we're told they are priests who had no regard for the Lord. They gave no thought or attention to him in what they did. Uh, and what they did is outlined in verse um, 13. So whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and while the meat was being boiled, and, and they would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself, and this is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Now, so imagine you're an ordinary person coming to the local place of sacrifice. Um, different sacrifices for different things. This here um, is a fellowship offering, also called a peace offering. Now, how it worked is that you brought that meat and it was cooked, and then certain parts of it, according to Old Testament law, went to the priests. But much of it, you ate. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but when you came to make your sacrifice, um, perhaps as a household, you would then have a meal. And it makes reasonable sense. Um, it's a fellowship offering, so you would eat it in fellowship um, afterwards. So you can kind of think of it as like a bring and share barbecue, sort of. You know, you get what I mean. Don't sort of take it the wrong way. So here you are, you're making your sacrifice. There's a meal coming to enjoy afterwards, and then the priest, well, not in fact the priest himself, but he sends this henchman to plunge a big old fork into your uh, pan and whatever comes up, he carts off. Now, of course, if you're, you stick a big fork into some meat, what you're going to come up with is the best meaty bits. You're going to take that. So when it comes to your meal afterwards, it's not going to be any nice burgers for you. It's going to be those pesky little wings that you're trying to nibble on. And why, why do we get that sort of list of uh, pans and kettles and cauldrons and pots? It's not meant to be an advert for a John Lewis wedding list. It's because they were doing it everywhere. Uh, they were poking into every pot and pan available. And as if that wasn't bad enough, um, in verse 15, they're also taking meat before the fat has been burned off. Um, again, the Old Testament law said the fat was to be burned off at the altar and it was to show that it was being given to the Lord. But in verse 16, they're told, if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, you know, out of fear, the servant would say, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So this kind of, these priests, there's this intimidation. They're taking what should be shared with God's people they're taking what should be shared with God. Let's just see there's this greed and an oppression and an injustice rife under everything. So by the end of the opening, you know exactly what the problem is. Verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Just before we move on to the middle of the story, we're told something. Verse 18 and 19, meanwhile... 
The boy Samuel is ministering before the Lord. Quietly, in the background, Samuel is growing up, serving God. Now, we also get some good news about Hannah as well. She actually has uh, three more sons and two daughters. Um, She leaves our story at this point, but I don't know if you knew that that her family grows in that way. And along with that comes a, a, a lovely little detail that every year she would go up, she would bring a new robe for Samuel. So again, can you imagine just every year uh, the robe needs to get that little bit bigger? Um, as you, uh, you may have met up with friends and uh, seen their uh, children perhaps. And at the moment, if you've not seen it for a while, all grown up seem to say, oh gosh, look how you've grown. Well, that, you know, that's the case with Samuel. And, and we're told again in verse 21, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord, quietly in the background, Samuel is growing up, serving God. Okay, the middle of the story. Uh, Dithering dad. What do you do if you are Eli and you have these two sons? That is the middle of the story. We uh, told verse 22, now Eli, who is very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So these two did other awful things as well. They grabbed women just like they grabbed meat. And I suspect we are all too aware now of abuses of power in the church that actually this isn't that shocking to read. But also consider this. I wonder if our instinct is that this may be worse. But do you notice how the writer has given us uh, a long section on the injustice of them taking uh, people's food and only a sentence here on this sexual sin? And I wonder if those of us with a more Western mindset would instinctively put it the other way round. And I wonder if it's worth asking ourselves, why is that? And it's not how it is here. The injustice is much more front and center. Now, Eli tries to talk to them. He says, verse 23, why do you do such things? And they won't listen. In fact, we're told they can't listen any longer. Verse 25, Eli is talking to them and says, sons, if if one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Now, this is key to why these two are so bad. If someone sins against the Lord, who should be able to intercede for them? A priest. You had one job. That was the the one thing you had to do. A a bit like Sarah's example of a cleaner who doesn't clean. You You had one thing you were supposed to do. And why are we being told this here? We're being shown that Eli knew exactly what the problem was. And he didn't change it. Eli was complicit. And meanwhile, just remember that drumbeat. So verse 26 is there again. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and his people. Quietly in the background, Samuel is growing up. Change is coming. So that's the beginning and the middle of of the story. And can you see it's all building up and it is about to explode. And that's the, the ending to the story. And I've called it God Gets Real. Uh, So from verse 27, a man of God arrives, that's a a prophet, and he has four things to say. Um, First, he talks about all that God has done for Eli over many years. 
Um, verse 28, God says, I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest. He's saying, Eli, you and your family as priests, you go way back. And I, I, have, I have brought you here from Aaron, the first priest after the Exodus. Second, he says, you have totally dishonored God. Uh, verse 29, why do you scorn my sacrifice? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Eli, you got rich, you took power, you've used it for yourself, and you have abused others. Third, he says, you are finished. You're done. There's uh, it's a phrase from the TV show Suits where they like to say, you're fired, we're finished, we're done. Um, uh, listen to what he says in verses uh, 31 onwards. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house. No one will reach old age. No one in your family will ever reach old age. Uh, everyone that I don't cut off from serving at my altar, I'll spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. It's full of time markers saying it is happening, it is coming, it is soon. And if you can imagine the newspaper headline, God ends entire family of priests. So not just Eli, not just his sons, the whole lot. You are finished, you are rooted out, you are done. Is going to be pretty severe and it's going to happen in chapter 4 when um, Hophni and Phinehas will, will die uh, on the same day. Um, some of it won't happen until chapter 22 when in fact King Saul will kill uh, the rest of that priestly family. But it will happen. And then there is a fourth and a final step. Verse 35, I, says God, will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead appoint me to some priestly office so i can have food to eat now um bear with me a second because this is perhaps not something we're that familiar with but it is important god is going to put in place a new priest and a new priestly line um, he says, I will establish his house. And he's replacing Eli uh, entirely. And then he says that, Eli, those in your family who are left are going to come and bow down um, and they'll come begging for work from this new priestly line. Um, if you are one of our young people or children who've been following the story of Joseph, you might recognize that sense of when his brothers came to bow down to him. There's, there's that kind of reversal is going to take place. Now, the obvious question then is, um, is this new priest Samuel? Um, and the answer is no. Samuel is going to be introduced in the next chapter as a prophet. And he is going to be the means of change uh, for this. But God is actually going to start a new priestly line. And that line is uh, it's going to be a chap called Zadok the priest. Um, we won't meet him till later with King David. Um, Zadok and his family will trace their ancestry back to uh, um, Aaron as well through a different part of the line. And they are, they are good priests. But the main message is the priests, Eli's sons, are corrupt. They are unjust. And God's people need a faithful priest. And he is going to throw out the entirety of that family line to make it happen. He will get rid of the proud and the arrogant, just like Hannah said. 
Now, if we step back for a moment, I think it's helpful to see this is a, a real pattern for how God works. God isn't afraid of wholesale change. So he will do it again in a few years. Um, having made Saul king, he will then actually throw him out. Um, he'll do it again after that uh, when his uh, people are built up into this uh, amazing kingdom under Solomon. He is not afraid to then split it and bring it right down again. And it's because his promise to his people is always more important than a promise made to this priest or that king or this leader or whoever. And you see it again as you go through. In fact, he's quite prepared to give up the land that he brought them to and he turfs them all out of that and they go into exile. And then perhaps supremely, ultimately, he is prepared to cast off the whole Old Testament system and restart and reboot everything under Jesus. So God isn't afraid of wholesale change. And I've pointed out the, uh, before the parallels between the Samuel story and Luke's account of Jesus and that moment. Um, in the early part of Luke, in chapter 2, um, we read those lines. And just when Jesus is just a boy, he's growing up, and Luke writes and says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and, fa and in favor with God and man. So it's a real echo of uh, Samuel. Samuel quietly growing up, change is coming, and Luke pictures Jesus just quietly growing up. And if you had been around, if you had seen Jesus then, this boy growing up, you know, who would have known to look at him then that Jesus was going to overthrow the priesthood entirely and become the true priest? Um, who would have known and looked at him and seen that Jesus was going to overthrow the entire sacrificial system and, and become the true sacrifice and one in which anyone is invited to share in what he provides? And if you looked at Jesus then, would you have seen that he was going to overthrow the, the kingship, the kingly line, and be the true king who would lead justly and rightly? If you stand back, actually, you see how much change God was going to bring about and how it would lead to Jesus. Now, how does this help us? I said earlier on that I, I, I do feel like I've ha I had just had a heightened sense of the need for change in our world. And I imagine many of us have had over these past um, few weeks and, and months. And I think this can help us. Now, what am I not saying? First of all, I'm not saying that every injustice that you see now is going to be overthrown. I don't think the New Testament promises us that. It doesn't tell us that every injustice that you or, my, you or I may feel or may face is going to be put right yet. But what I am saying, if you look here at 1 Samuel 2, you can see a God who knows his people need a priest who isn't in it for himself. But one who cares for you. God knows that his, his people need a priest who isn't going to steal for himself, but is going to provide for you. A leader who isn't going to dominate by treading someone down, but actually is going to be concerned for the least and the last, and who is, who is going to know those who cry out to God need him. And you see, he knew that that was what we needed. And he provided it in his son. And I don't know where this hits you. Where does this hit you? I don't know. Did you know that God was prepared to throw out his line of priests to ensure that his people had what they needed? Do you know that 
That's God's heart and mind for his people. Do you know that, priest, that Jesus is the, the priest who is not going to steal from you? He's not going to take, he's not going to build himself up, uh, just grabbing and always uh, demanding of you. Actually, he laid down his life for you. He provides, he gives. And it may be that you, you would say, yes, I, I do know that. And that is the, the wonderful thing. And I, uh, I love being reminded of that. And I love knowing that. How is that going to change you this week? How is that going to change you this week? As you look out of the world, where do you need to, to see your own heart and match it up against the Father's hearts for his people? Where do you need to ask the Spirit to change you that you might just see more fully and freshly his Son, the, 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 the high priest, the gracious, merciful, and wonderful high priest? And maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been watching and, uh, and enjoying our services over, over recent weeks. Um, and I would just say to you, you need to find out about this priest. You need to know about this Jesus. Um, come along to Christianity Explored. Ask, ask questions about him. Why, why is he a priest? Why does he need to be? I promise you, you won't find any other leader who is like him, who does this for you. Uh, the chap in the supermarket who came uh, to see me, uh, to, to talk to me, um, I just, I've been really struck by what happened, and it, I guess it has stayed with me. And as I've gone on through the week, I've also then, I, I've imagined... If Jesus had been there too, and on the other side there, I imagine what he might have said as, uh, as this chap came up to me. I guess he might have looked at me and said, Paul, it's all right. I know who you are. I know who you are. That is who Jesus is. Amen.